Welcome to Tea and Teaching, the educational podcast you can listen to in your tea break. You are with me, Arthur Moore, and with me as always is Mike Harrowell. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hi, Arthur. I'm very good, thank you. I'm on a classic green tea today. <gasps> so am I. Are you? There you the stars have aligned. Wow. What a, what a moment. That is the first time. There's a gasp across the world right now to our listeners, just gasping at what just happened. It's taken six episodes for that to happen. So as a maths teacher, I'd like you to work out how many different types are in the world and what are the odds of it taking six episodes in order for us to align ourselves? Low. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, what have you been up up to? Reading, watching, anything good recently? You're going to love this one. Uh, because the last couple of days I've been reading the EEF. I know you love it. Love it. The Implementation Guidance Report. Uh, so it's a, a really, really cool document about the best way of introducing new initiatives um, and, in fact, maintaining older initiatives and making sure they stay relevant in schools. So if anyone hasn't read that, um, I'm sure it's quite a niche document, um, but I would strongly suggest the EEF implementation guidance report it's a fantastic working document uh what have you been up to this week well i've actually gone for a different thread entirely i've gone a bit back to fiction writing um i realized i was watching so much documentaries and reading so many non-fiction i've gone back to fiction so i'm reading anthony horowitz moon flower murders which is i think second in one of his series about susan rylance um brilliant love anthony horowitz don't know if you remember him from the Stormbreaker series when you were a kid? No, well... You're talking to a, a PE teacher, mate. I, I didn't read much as a kid. Oh, well, <laughs> we'll just, just insult all the PE teachers across the world there. No, um, no, no, no. I, I, I need to defend myself here. I didn't insult any PE teachers. I insulted myself there. I won't have the, the whole of the PE world turning against me. I've already got some of them. So whilst the PE community decide whether to like or dislike Mike Howell... Go and put the kettle on, have a brew, have a biscuit. And when we'll be back, we're going to be talking about the best bit of advice we've been given as teachers. Welcome back to Teen Teaching. So, Mike, today we're talking about some of the best bits of advice you've been given in your teaching career, I suppose we should put it. Um, Do you want to go first? Do you mean we should put it as a teaching career? It... It has been, and it still is a teaching career. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you've like retired me off or something there. Just try. Um, the first one that comes to mind was NQT year. Uh, my first job was in a very challenging school um, in a, a PE department, actually, that was, there was, I think, three members of us and two people who were in their first year of teaching and one person who'd been there one year previously as their NQT year. So essentially, you know, two NQTs and one person had one year of experience. So we're a very, very inexperienced department, very challenging behavior, trying to create a culture of sport uh, in the school, trying to kind of win some hearts and minds. And yeah, it was some very, very challenging students who've been allowed to drift for a long time and not take sport seriously. And it used to really, really frustrate me. Um, and I was one of those shouty teachers. I was, yeah, I'd raise my voice if people weren't listening or I'd kick kids out of classrooms by raising my voice. And, and someone just said to me, 
don't raise your voice. Stop raising your voice. Like you won't get anywhere with that. It won't have any impact on the student. It will just embarrass them and cause them to be even more stubborn or, or you know, misbehave even more. Um, and after about five or six years at that school, I ended up actually moving on to another school that was a, a school where we, we weren't allowed to raise our voices. We'd made that promise as a group of staff to the students that we'd never raise our voice. And in fact, at that school, if a teacher did raise their voice, the kids would call them on it and say, oh, you're not allowed to raise your voice, um, which is really, really challenging. But it's actually the best thing that's ever happened to my behavior management is learning to control students, control a group of students without feeling the need to shout and holler at people. So I don't know if you've had any experience with that. Arthur. No, that entirely remembers me in my PGC when I was doing Teach First. So you're thrown straight into some difficult, challenging situations. I'd been teaching about two weeks and there was this class that I just was making no progress with. And as a new teacher, I'm sure I was sleep deprived. I wasn't functioning properly. And I raised my voice for a second. And as I did it, my voice just broke like I was going back through puberty or something. So I was like, don't stop. And there was just this moment of I stopped. The kids just looked at me, burst into laughter. And I just laughed at myself and just kind of went, yeah, that didn't work. Never doing that again. And I don't think I've raised my voice in in that way since. And I, I haven't seen it work. I haven't seen a teacher who raises their voice in that shouty way rather than projecting and seen a, a positive result short or long term i don't know if you've seen that anywhere of the good shouty teacher not a good shouty teacher actually in, in my second school it was a non-shouting school i once had to raise my voice at a, a big group of students like 50 60 kids and because it was so out of character and out of the ordinary it had the instant impact of stopping them doing what they're doing, which was quite dangerous, what they were doing, which is the only reason I, I would, I think, raise my voice. Yeah. Um, but the minute I raised it, it had that immediate impact. But it's, I think if you shout in all the time, or it's a regular occurrence, just loses its impact. Um, and like I said, the students don't respond to it. Um, if you save it for those, those maybe dangerous occurrences or, or when someone's going to get hurt, you can see an accident coming. Um, it has the impact that you want it to have, but I, I not now. I, I would yeah, strongly so encourage any teacher from doing it because I've seen how impactful it can be without. Yeah, I think the only time I raised my voice afterwards was on school trips where kid running out into the road seemed to be the most prevalent thing or up on the mountain and someone's going too near the edge. Um, my f bit of advice, if I switch it to focus on me, um, was... What a change. Okay. <laughs> Very early on, my, my mentor at my first school, who was one of the best mentors I've ever had, absolutely brilliant. He was a deputy head at the time, and he came to do his first lesson observation of me. So I'd probably been teaching two and a half weeks. Um, I think I was teaching Pythagoras' theorem, and he gave me the... It was, it was an okay lesson at best for someone who'd been teaching it two weeks, and, and I knew it. I was like, ah, there's some things that I liked, some things I didn't like. And he sat down, and he very politely in a very nice way, destroyed me. Absolutely destroyed the lesson. Took it apart bit by bit in a really, really good way. And because I had that good relationship with him already, I, I just listened to his advice. And he spent about four minutes talking at me and I was hanging on to his every word and he just broke down the lesson. And he said, like at the end, just went silent. I was kind of sitting there just silence. And he went, so what, what are you gonna say back to me, Arthur? 
And I was just like, like, sorry, like you, I need to go away and have a think. He was like, no, there were some good elements of that lesson. Defend yourself to me. Like, tell me what was good about that lesson. Pick out the good things and we'll talk about those. And we did that. And at the end, he told me that there will sometimes be people in your lessons, in your career, in parts of your life who just want to focus on the negatives and you're going to have to stand up for yourself. And you need to do that in a really honest way. So don't lie. Don't try and make something that was a negative a positive, but be really honest with yourself. If you've done something well, don't be worried to kind of say, no, that went well. And that really stuck with me through the rest of my observations, which you have a lot of on Teach First. There were points where I had six, seven people in the room watching me teach. Um, and to stand up for yourself afterwards of saying, no, actually, I think that went well. And here's why I can justify it. I'll listen to your advice, but I'm not going to be told everything I did was wrong when I, I know there were good elements. So kind of standing and believing for yourself as a teacher very early on. Um, and that meant a lot especially if it was a member of SLT who I then was like, yeah, he's, he's got my back. Like I can do this. I'm going to get stuff wrong, but I can do this and I need to focus on those positives. And after that, me and the teach first, I was with in the school. Um, at the end of each day, we always met up before we left the building and said like, what went well today? And we finished with two things, what went well. Um, and that kind of just that little bit of positivity at the end of each day just got me through those first, the first term really. So I don't know if that's something that kind of speaks to you or if you've heard of that or you've, you've given that advice to anyone at any point. I don't think I've given that advice directly or been given that directly, but two things that have been hammered into me by a number of different people in my career is that the humility and integrity, those two qualities. So having humility to, to stand up and say, yeah, I've made a mistake or to recognize when you're, you've done something not as well as you could have done, but also the integrity of, defending yourself and and justifying your position on something it might get you absolutely nowhere um but it's it's really important to to say your opinions in a really constructive way and to have that integrity as well so yeah i think that's good advice that i probably should give to more people yeah and i really like it when you when i was still in schools and had nqts or new teachers kind of under my my guidance always making sure i gave room for them or the culture for them to be able to stand up for themselves and to tell me actually arthur i, I think maybe i disagree with you on that and from that disagreements when we have the best discussions i'm sure we've noticed from this this pod mike sometimes the best discussions we have are when we slightly disagree with each other and then we really go into the subject and we really challenge ourselves and other people so that was always a good bit of advice i think um, I think we'll take a moment there, everyone, to go back, fill up your tea, get another biscuit and maybe have a think. What's the best bit of advice you've been given? And when we'll be back, uh, we'll keep talking about this. So go away, fill up your tea and we'll see you in a moment. Welcome back to Tea and Teaching. We're talking about the best pieces of advice we've ever been given. And I want to throw this one at you, Arthur, because I, I love this. It's very... Um, stoic as well i don't know where i heard this i don't think it was directly said to me but i took it as a bit of advice uh nonetheless is that people need to know that you care before they care. um and having i've worked in a, a real range of schools from 
very underprivileged backgrounds for the students um, to you know, the school I work in now where students come from typically quite privileged backgrounds. And that's been true regardless of the background the student comes from. So they need to know that you care before they then care what you know um, or care so, about what you do know. So how have you gone about that as a teacher? How do you show the students you care? There's two things for me in that is that I care about my subject. I care about what I'm teaching them. Um, I really, really care that they understand the importance of that in the wider context, but I care about them as individuals as well. Um, you know, pastoral and academic sometimes seen as polar opposites or do different faculties within a school, but they're not, they're the same thing. Um, you know, you can't have good academic outcomes without a great pastoral system. Um, and Pastoral system starts with those interactions those students have day in, day out, lesson by lesson. And you've got to make sure that every interaction you have with students is really, really meaningful and that they understand that they're at the center of what you're trying to do. Um, they're the most important thing in your life at that one moment. Um, yes, I want a student to understand something in sport or something in terms of sports science. But actually, if they're having a really, really rough day, if they've had something really traumatic go on in their life, it's not the most important thing in the world. They're the most important thing in the world. And actually taking the time to have a conversation with them or change things up or go easy on them that day. I'm not saying lower your standards, but I'm saying maybe just giving that little bit of space or that little bit of extra help that they might need. Um, it makes all the difference and it makes them feel really, really valued and really, really um supported in that space um and i think yeah. that's that's been really important in my career that i completely agree like students you can be the best subject teacher in the world but if students aren't listening it doesn't matter what you say um in terms of kind of the practical side of that i i remember seeing a teacher once who just stood by the door at the start and the end of every lesson and as they came in he said hello and as they left he said goodbye and I started doing that. And it's amazing how much you can pick up by just looking a student in the eye as they walk into lesson, just going hello. You, you can pick up how their day is, how they're feeling. Um, and that kind of pastoral side that's then going to link to the academic learning in your classroom. So for me, that would kind of be a, a practical way to show the students care. Do you have any kind of something that someone could go and implement today, tomorrow, like to show the students care? Weird phrase, I feel. Yeah, it's similar to what you just said about welcoming students. Um, and it doesn't need special handshakes or high fives or anything like that, the door. But uh, we used to talk about it a lot when I was a head of department, uh, the PE team of walk and talk. Wherever you are in the school, wherever corridor you're walking down, and we're very lucky as PE teachers, we walk around a lot. It's always talking to the kids when you're in a corridor. Like, hey, how's your day going? Hey, are you going to be at training tonight? Um, and you, like you said, you pick up so much from those little conversations or just reading their body language or just seeing how they respond to those questions. So I just always picture a school, how amazing a school would be if every teacher was walking down the corridor, asking the kids how they are, seeing how their day's going, just having those little interactions with them um, and just making them feel really, really valued. Yeah, I think at a previous school, when I was um, leading assemblies, there was always this kind of two sides of should students walk into assembly in silence in rows and sit down in silence or should they be allowed to talk and i was always on the side of let the students talk let me st stand by the door and welcome them in because that's where i hear snippets of conversation that's where i i can look them in the eye and see how they're doing if they all just walk in line and file silent 
I lose that little five seconds to look at each student and try and gauge how they're feeling that day. So I know that's a lot of teachers will probably go one way or the other on that, but that would have really good bit of advice for me is just look students in the eye, say hello, as you said, and you can go so far from the pastoral side for that. You know, I'd love, would love just following on from this before I ask you for your last bit of advice, Arthur, is I'd love someone to volunteer to come on the pod and argue for silent corridors. I know it's a big discussion point at the moment um, and I'm, I'm anti it. So I would love someone to come on the pod who is very for it, or maybe you see it in your school um, and it's used really, really successfully. I'd love to know how it's used and, and why. So if you're listening to this and you work in a school or you do believe in silent corridors, please let us know. Come on the pod and have a, a friendly discussion about it. I'd love to know. Would love to um, have that chat. Yeah. about it. Yeah. So what's your your final piece of advice? For the I'm going to go a little bit more pedagogical. Um, something from a book I may have mentioned once in my life, Mr. Barton. How I wish I talked mathematics. Legend. Love you, Barton. Um, but he was talking about, and this was another conversation in maths. Um, it actually came from a CPD session led by a certain Mike Harrowell in a staff room I used to work at, where we were talking about yes. just the ways to introduce topics. Um, I think it was over a croissant on one of your breakfast sessions. And I said in maths, there's a real, in a lot of subjects, we always talk about, you have to show the students why something's important. You have to show them the real world application first. You do all this big project, and then you go into the actual learning from there. And in maths, there's an argument to say, well, the opposite's kind of true. We need to give the students all the skills of mathematics to then go and apply them. Otherwise, to show some, a student something mathematically in the real world is really difficult sometimes. And it's so much higher in its level of learning than maybe the actual skill you're trying to teach. So sometimes in maths, the skill becomes before you apply the skill, which I know some subjects would probably disagree with, but for maths, learning that really changed my focus in maths and made me think about, I'm trying to help the students learn mathematics. Is me showing a kind of a fake ball going over a, uh, um, over a wall and saying, what's the quadratic curve for that? Is that helpful for their development as mathematicians? So that was a really good bit of advice to me. I don't know if that's something that, in, I don't know how that would work in P. Do you ever talk about, like we're talking about the why and the how and kind of how they differentiate. It's, it's totally counterintuitive, isn't it? It goes against everything you've been taught as a teacher. The first thing you've been taught is conceptualize and contextualize. Yeah. Um, and that's the only way students can relate to what they're doing. You don't just teach a skill because you need to know this skill. You want to tell them why, where's it used in the wider world? How might you use it? And it's similar in PE. I, I remember us discussing this at the time and, you know, thanks for the shout out by my CPD. I'm for private work. If anyone wants to pay me for that, um, get that little plug in there. Uh, but I remember thinking about where this would happen in PE. And I actually thought about if, if you're doing, let's say netball, basketball, something like that, a team game, if the students can't pass accurately, why would you talk about the concept of a counterattack um, in that sport or moving the ball quickly from one end of the court to the other? Because the students wouldn't actually be able to apply that con concept because they wouldn't have the skills to do it. So I think I'd always say, look, we're, we're doing passing in the next few lessons and these are different passes we're going to do. And here's where you might end up using it. But if I just taught counterattacking maneuvers first and the kids didn't have the skills to actually undertake those, I'm just, 
I'm barking up the wrong tree with that. They're not going to actually get anything out of that lesson. But if they can do the passes first, conceptualize it into a counter-attacking move. So, yeah, I do agree with you that. I think there's a, a time where you just need to focus on the raw skills and then conceptualize and, and contextualize it afterwards. Um, yeah, I imagine but- it differentiates by subjects. And it'd be great if people got in contact and said, no, when I'm teaching this subject, it's always about conceptualize it first. Uh, you can tweet us at T and teaching. That's the letter T and teaching to let us know your thoughts. Um, but I, I now think about that when I'm planning a session for my for my online students of what what is the skill? What are they trying to get better at? Are they trying to get better at applying a skill to conceptualize it? Or are they just trying to get better at the skill? And then we can go from there. Um, but if you think about the exams, most students do in assessments, um, they don't do a big kind of talk about how this would apply in the real world. They're testing skills. And then that all comes down to what's education really about, which is another pod and discussion entirely. Oh, we could do hours on that podcast, couldn't we? Are we teaching students to pass exams or are we teaching them to be better learners um i think we could definitely explore that on another episode we haven't got time to go into that now but that'd be very interesting no completely agree so i think i'll just the two bits of advice i were given that i would recommend everyone take is stand up for yourself and believe in what you're doing and sometimes ask yourself what's the best way to introduce this topic is it as a skill or is it within a context um and mike do you just want to summarize your two bits of advice Yeah, I'd say don't ever raise your voice at a child. Um, And students need to know that you care before they care what you know. Uh, They've been really, really good piece of advice for my career. And I would strongly recommend uh, other people heeding that advice. Um, This has been really, really good talking to you today, Arthur. I've really enjoyed listening to advice. It's something we probably don't share enough as teachers. We've We've all got our stories of kids and this and that situation. Um, but how often do we actually sit down with our colleagues and say, what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? So it's been really, really nice speaking to you today about this and and listening to the advice that other people have been given as well. So I'd strongly recommend other people to have a chat with a colleague and, and just find out, pick their brain about what they've been told. It's a great chat to have over a cup of tea, maybe in the staff room or as you're walking down the corridor. Um, well, as always, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll speak to you in the next episode.